Well, he is good. Give Jesus a big hand this morning. He's worthy of all our praise. Well, turn to two or three people, tell them God is awesome, and you may be seated. God is awesome. It's great to see you today. Well, next week we're going to start a new sermon series, Happy, 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 but it's about helping you have better relationships. I mean, no life is about relationships. I mean, even if you're a hermit, you've got to go in town and buy some salt every once in a while. Life's about relationships. And I'm going to start next week with arguably the greatest simple uh, passage in the history of the world about how to get along with people. It's called the Golden Rule. But I hope you'll bring someone and we'll, put, uh, we'll, we'll get a step above Duck Dynasty. What do you think about that? Happy, happy, happy. When Jesus is in the center of your life, listen, things work better. Why don't you turn your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We've got brand new Bible guides out. I want to encourage you, if you don't have one, get one in the back of your chair. Greatest way I know to connect with God is to have a time every day where you read a portion of the Bible. We read together Old and New Testament passage. We've got a, it's on our phone app, too, if you like to use it that way. But several weeks ago, we were reading in the Bible guide through Thessalonians. It's a it's a two books written by Paul to a church in Europe. It was the second church he'd planted in Europe, and it was a church that was fairly young and immature. Now, last week, if you were here, you remember our primary text was 1 Thessalonians 3.13, and it went like this. It was a prayer of Paul, and he said this. He said, so that God may establish your hearts, and I want you to say this, blameless in holiness. That God might establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now, it was that phrase, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the second coming, coming with His saints. We talked last week about the second coming of Christ, about the rapture of the church, uh, what happens when a, when a believer dies, how they go to be with the Lord. We talked about resurrection bodies in the, day, in the days ahead. But the way we prepare for that is by living blameless in holiness. It doesn't mean we're perfect and never make a mistake, but this word holy means that we're separated to God, that we're living a life serving the Lord and putting God first in all we do. And as we do this, we are ready for Christ to return because we're living, serving Him, and at the great trumpet shout, we'll be ready to say, Hello, Lord. But now I want you to look this morning in 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to continue this. Be very, be very serious message. We'll laugh a little bit more next week. But this is a follow-up to last week. We're going to look in the book of 2 Thessalonians because Paul continues with this same subject of the last days, the second coming of Christ, and he looks at a couple chapters. Now I want to look briefly at the first chapter and just kind of go through it quickly, condense it to set a context. In the second chapter, we'll look at uh, verse by verse. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 Paul said, we give thanks for your steadfastness. Can you say steadfastness? steadfastness. That means that you are, are, are strong. You're like, when a windstorm comes, it doesn't blow you over. When you have trials in life, if someone persecutes you, if there's sacrifice or suffering as a believer, that you don't give up, you don't quit, you don't throw it away, but you're hanging in there. You're strong no matter what, uh, what life may bring you. But he says, we give thanks, you're steadfast and your faith is there. And listen, in all your persecutions and afflictions that you're enduring. Now, this focus sets the tone for what he's going to say. Because they were Christians and the world was against them. The Roman world politically was against the church or the Christian. The Jews had rejected the, the early church as it, as it, uh, in its inception. So they were a persecuted bunch. It was difficult. 
Maybe you've known a, 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 a little bit of persecution. Maybe you've been around some friends and you're at school and it comes time for, for lunch and you look around and you bow your head to say a prayer and somebody across the lunchroom goes, what are you doing? And they make fun of you. Oh, Well, that's just a little bit, but these guys were enduring a lot. Perhaps they lost their jobs. Perhaps families were separated. I mean, it was a difficult time. And Paul recognized this about them, but this the fact that they were persecuted confused them a little bit. He says, this, this, uh, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. In other words, the people that are persecuting you, that are attacking you because you're a Christian, one day God is going to judge them and that will be a righteous judgment. Now he goes on to say this, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as, as well as we are when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. So now again, he brings up the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back to the earth, and that's the point when you're going to be relieved from all the junk on the earth. Can you say, that's going to be a great day? No more dying, no more crying, no more pain, no more heartache. The Bible says all these things will have passed away. So when Jesus returns to this planet, there's going to be a brand new tenor about life for us, that the things of the past will be behind us. But notice what he says about the coming of Christ. He says he's coming in flaming fire, And notice this strong language, inflicting vengeance on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Verse 10, when Christ comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So think about this day that's coming. When Jesus returns to this earth, some people, the believers, are going to be really happy as they anticipate Christ, but those that have rejected Christ. Now, we'll explore this more deeply because God is referring when the judgment context is to people that have heard of Christ, rejected Him, say that we want nothing to do with Him. Let me give you an illustration. If you can imagine if, uh, let's say we're all Navy SEALs and, uh, you know, we're over in Afghanistan or somewhere and we've been, you know, we've been arrested or we've been taken captive and, and they've stuck us in this little house in these rooms, but somehow we got a radio. And at radio, we got a message from, uh, from uh, the, the other SEAL teams or from the commander that we're coming to rescue you. Well, how many know when the SEAL team comes to rescue you, you're going to be really happy, but the guards are going to be really sad? I mean, the little red lights are going to be going across the room and the helicopter's coming down. It's a great day for some, but it's a terrible day for others. And that's exactly how, how Paul pictures this. Now, uh, from this, we're going to go to chapter 2 where I want to get in more detail because he's going to tell us some things that have to happen before the second coming of Christ. And he's going to tell us three things. Number one, he's going to talk about the rebellion or the apostasy or the falling away. Number two, he's going to talk about a man called the Antichrist, a literal human being is coming to this earth that's going to be the one world ruler. He'll also talk about something that's restraining lawlessness on the earth. And we're going to look at those three conditions for the return of Christ as I continue this message called Blameless in Holiness. Because my intent is not just to give you some factual information, but my intent is to challenge you how you live each day of your life. As Jesus, as we closed the message last week, Jesus told us to watch for His coming, to be prepared, to be ready when Christ returns, and hopefully this will help you uh, in in that endeavor. As we look at these uh, events that we're talking about in the last days, I don't believe Paul was teaching uh, a a sequence of events. Uh, And I've got to be honest with you, I'm not an expert in last days, but if you were to look at my favorite study Bible, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, you would see before the book of Revelation, they list eight possible interpretations of last day events. 
So I'm not going to come across to you with the chart on the wall saying this happens in this and this. I am going to tell you this, though. Christ is coming back. Come on. One day he's coming for his church. We're going to meet him in the air. But until that day happens, there's going to be some trouble on the earth. Believers are going to be persecuted. But we're to stand strong in our faith until that great day comes. So let's explore it as we're going to tie in the Bible written several thousand years ago and beyond to current day, modern day events, particularly as we talk about a one world government. Look at me now with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll go now more verse by verse. Let's talk about this person called the Antichrist and his one world government. Let's talk about the great falling away. And lastly, of course, we'll, we'll talk about the restrainer. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. So once again, he ties together the second coming of Christ with the rapture of the church. If you missed that last week, the Bible teaches us very clearly, and you can go back and actually you can download the notes before you come to church if you want to. Bring your iPad, look along, read the scriptures with me. Uh, you can listen to it during the week. But last week we talked specifically about something called the rapture. Well, at one, some point in time, the Bible says there's going to be a trumpet sound, there's going to be a shout, and the Bible says the dead in Christ in graves will rise, and then we who are alive on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. So this life is not our home. This world is not our home. We are strangers, pilgrims passing through. But now he says this. The first thing he says, he says, Don't be quickly shaken in mind and alarm, or alarmed either by a spirit, a spoken word, or a letter that seemed to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now remember last week we talked about this phrase, the day of the Lord. You can look back in the Old Testament and even the New and see this day of the Lord is, is connected by and large to a time of judgment. The day of the Lord is, is not a great time. A day of the Lord for those that are guarding, we that are precious to Christ. But here Paul seems to connect the day of the Lord to the second coming. And as he talks about this, what he tells these early believers, and, and this is very, very pertinent to us, he tells them that you, you need to be careful so you're not deceived on this. Now, they were immature. They were young in Christ. And he said, someone has written a letter in my name. For example, someone sent a false letter around saying it was from Paul. It could have been a prophecy. It could have been a sermon. But somehow they heard that the day of the Lord had already come. Somehow they had heard that perhaps the rapture had come and they'd missed it. Because here's what was going on. They were being persecuted. There was affliction and trials. And they didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't understand why their prayers weren't answered. They didn't understand why bad things were happening to good people. You understand what I'm saying? And it's the same emotions that you and I feel when we wonder where in the world is the Lord when God leaves us in a struggle. Uh, I, now, uh, you're probably like me. I would prefer that God kept me from struggles. How many would say that's me too? I would prefer that there's a struggle here and God lets my life do this. But sometimes, as believers, we live in a world that has evil in it. Come on. We have spiritual attack in it and we just go right through it. My wife has been going through cancer and has got a great report right now. Uh, but I want to tell you what, we didn't get to do this. I wish we could have stood before you and said God did a miracle as he does in many lives. We had a man several weeks ago gave his testimony. He came to church in a wheelchair. Several weeks after that, he was baptized and he's walking around as an usher now. Now, that's at least worth a praise the Lord there. But Bob, where are you? Is he still here? Okay. Well, he was here in last service. But... But sometimes you don't get to do that. Sometimes you do that. And when you're going through that, you don't understand what's going on. Well, that's what was happening here, and they were a bit confused. 
And that speaks to all of us is that we need to grow in our spiritual life. We need to walk in maturity. We need to walk with God each day. You remember the parable of the sower? You remember some of the seed, the Word of God, was planted in a place where it didn't have deep roots? And then when trouble came because of persecution or the Word of God, guess what? They fell away because they didn't have deep roots. They weren't mature as believers. That's why it's so important that you want to do more than just come to church. And I'm glad you're here. But you want to have a daily time with God. You want to be living for God each day. You want your Christian values to govern the TV you watch, the movies you walk out on. Come on. The people that you're close to in your relationships, your integrity in your life, you're sharing your faith. You see, Christianity is not just an hour-a-week experience. It's a daily walk with God. Well, as we do these things, these spiritual disciplines that we teach you about in our Connect class, it helps you go deeper in your spiritual life. Well, that's where they were. Now, let's look at verse 3. And again, we're walking through 2 Thessalonians 2. And the first thing he said was, let no one deceive you. We'll speak of this word deceive at least three times in this morning's message from the Scripture because when we look towards the end days, the last days, Paul and Jesus both said, first thing, be careful, don't be deceived. Someone will misinform you. Again, it was through a, a, a prophecy, a sermon, a letter, but someone had done this. For that day, that is the second coming of Christ, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. This rebellion, this apostasy, this falling away, we'll talk about that. That's the first condition. The second is that this man of lawlessness. Now, if you wonder what lawlessness is, let me tell you. uh, Miley Cyrus on stage a few days ago. That's lawlessness. Think of Aunt B and Opie all the way to Miley Cyrus. That's lawlessness. You think of the violence on our streets in America today. You think, of, you think of just for fun of it, playing the knockout game where you just go and find someone of a different skin color and just beat them, a gang of people. That's lawlessness. That's the day in which we live. And there is a man of lawlessness that makes it even worse. He's called the Antichrist. Uh, he's called the son of destruction. He's the second thing that's going to happen. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So what the Bible says, there is a man that's coming, a a, a real human being. He's coming to this earth. He's going to be in charge of a one-world government. We'll talk much more about him in in just a few moments. But the Bible says he's going to say that he's God. Now, that's kind of foreign to us in America today. Maybe a cult leader may do that. But in the biblical era, in the Roman Caesars, they were considered as divine. They were treated as a godlike figure. But the Bible says, once again, a political leader that could have religious overtones, but a political leader will come to this earth and be treated as God. Someone that's going to have the solutions to the problems of the world. And I'm telling you, my friends, we may be closer there than we can imagine. Right now, America is considering another war over in the Middle East. I mean, it only takes one cruise missile to activate every terrorist in the world. Come on, if they perceive it to their advantage. You know, if we had a dirty bomb go off, for example, in Houston, you know, and it starts coming this way, guarantee you, friend, you'd have martial law in America just like that. All the executive orders are already in place. Things could happen. World events could happen. And this man of lawlessness could be revealed in in our time. But as as the Scripture speaks of this, he's proclaiming himself to be God. Now, notice that it mentioned the temple. In their day, of course, the Jewish temple was still uh, still, uh, the center of Jewish worship. 
It had been reconstructed and built and kind of polished up by Herod. But literally that was the place where the Jewish people would meet with God, the Holy of Holies. And this temple is what the Bible is saying. It, it prophesies this in Daniel, some 700 years before Christ was born, that the Jewish temple would be desecrated. Now that suggests to me that perhaps this temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. May not be as glorious as the last one, but some form of a temple. And this is not the first time this has happened. In 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes came, and he came and he erected an altar to Zeus in this Jewish in the Jewish temple. In AD 70, you remember Jesus in Matthew 24 when he was talked about the last days. He looked at the great temple and he told his disciples, "Every stone is going to be torn down." That's exactly what happened in AD 70. The Roman leader Titus came in, destroyed the temple, but guess what else he did? He sacrificed a pig on the altar in the place of Jewish worship. He tore it down and he erected another pagan altar to an idol. So somehow, whether this temple is literally a physical temple or whether it's a, a picture or a metaphor, somehow uh, the Antichrist is going to come in this place of worship and say, worship me, I'm God. Now, this is, this is a, a, a crucial thing, uh, but let's keep reading. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, you remember the first warning was don't be deceived. Jesus was asked by his disciples, which, by the way, if this intrigues you, there's three chapters in the New Testament that are totally dedicated by Jesus to the last days. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. In Matthew 24, he's, Jesus is asked, when's this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the first thing Jesus said was what? Watch out that no one... So be careful. And I say to you today, be careful. And then Paul gave us three events that are going to take place, and that's what I want to talk about in the rest of the message. The first one that he talked about was the rebellion, the falling away. Now, this rebellion, this apostasy, is when a professing Christian turns and rejects Christ. Now, there are a number of related terms in the New Testament about this to apostasy. Uh, you take backsliding where a Christian goes back into the world. That's perhaps not a rejection of Christ, but we're still slipping in the same way. It's like the pig returning to its vomit. It's like people who know Christ and walk away from Him. For example, let's say you're in college and you go in your, your room or in somebody else's room and there's a young man, a young woman sitting on the edge of the bed and uh, they're drunk, they're stoned and uh, you try to talk to them a little bit about Christ and they start laughing and say, you know what, I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid. I actually was the youth leader's assistant, but I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe God created the world. I think the whole Jesus thing is a myth. I just don't go for it anymore. You want to puff. It's not the puff that gets him in trouble, but it's the fact that I knew Christ, I walked with him, but I don't want to walk with him anymore. You hear this in the professing church. I suggest to you that the church has a, has a side of this apostasy in its doctrine, this rejecting Christ. I mean, just because I say the name Jesus doesn't mean that it's the Jesus of the New Testament. When a Mormon uses Jesus, they're not talking about Jesus who is very God. They're talking about who is a lesser God who you're going to be like one day. So when, for example, and you can, you can hear this in, in, on Christian TV today, the doctrine of universalism. We're talking about the language, the theology of apostasy. Universalism says this, everybody's going to heaven. God is a good God. He, he, he cares about everybody. Are there many ways up the mountain? Absolutely. Does that mean that this religion will go to heaven? Well, yeah, God's a good God. He understands, and we go around the table, and before we know it, what we've done is we've said the cross of Christ was not necessary. 
It was not necessary for Jesus to live a spotless, sinless life. He's not the only Savior of the world. He's one of the saviors of the world. And what you have done is you have taken a doctrine that rejects the foundation of who Christ is. Let me give you another example. America today, the, 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 most, the, the fastest change of morality in America in my lifetime is what's happening with same-sex marriage. As churches grapple with this subject, here's what we try to do, hopefully. We try to have love and truth together. What we often do, if, if all we have is truth, we come across as self-righteous and bigoted. Come on. I mean, listen, someone that's practicing the homosexual lifestyle is no different than an adulterer. Is no different than someone that looking at pornography and lusting in their heart is no different than somebody committing fornication. And if all you have is truth and just your truth, then you're a self-righteous person talking down to people. If on the other hand, if you just want to say, well, I'm just going to love everybody and not have any standards and whatever happens, happens, and, and who am I to tell you what to do? You have withheld the words of life that could turn a person in the right direction. But more important than this, when it comes in the church and the church tries to figure out how am I going to love you, if I'm not careful, I'll say, well, if you want to get married then that's okay, we'll marry you because we even have a, a gay priest because they feel that way. And because they feel that way and they believe they were created that way, it must be okay. What you've done is you've become an apostate wow. Wow. to the clear teaching of the Scripture. So what I'm talking about today is, are things that happen all around us, not just people who give God the middle finger, but I'm talking about people that turn away from the centrality of Christ, from orthodox Christianity, of the Christ, the Son of God, who was crucified, dead, and buried, who is the only means of salvation. Amen. It was not me that said, John 14, 6. It was Jesus that said, I am the way, the way definite article, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. But Jesus said this was going to happen, or Paul did, in the last days prior to the second coming of Christ. There would be a great falling away. Now, 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. The Spirit says that in the latter times some will... In the last days, some people are going to walk away from, 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 from Christianity, the true Christian faith, they're going to walk away from it by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to find a little imp with a suit on talking in television. But it means that someone inspired by a, a, a demonic teaching will lead people astray. Now, that was the first thing Jesus said was happening. But here's the second one. It's a big one. Jesus said, the man, or Paul, the man of lawlessness... The son of destruction. He's called the anti against Christ. He is the beast of revelation and he will be a counterfeit Messiah. He's a real human being and he will proclaim himself to be God. He will be one day a one world ruler. I think this will likely happen because the world's economy collapses. Have you ever wondered how people in Washington can continue to spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year, trillion dollars or more, more than we have every year. This year, we've, as I understand, have collected as much or more than our federal government has ever collected, but they're still going in debt. Last I heard, $600 billion just this year. I mean, we live... It's insane. Because one day, the money in your pocket may not be worth anything. Right now, they just create this money. They don't print this money. There's a computer somewhere just, just doing debits and credits, and one day people are going to say, we've had enough. And could it just be, you remember the last great economic 
dip that we had several years ago happened because there was a problem with derivatives in the secondary mortgage market and it affected some nation in Europe and the trickle-down effect made it all the way back home. Could it be that something larger than that could bring the world in chaos? And when that began to happen, listen, world leaders would come together and they would say, so-and-so has the answer and if you will follow what he has to say and the world will say, we'll do it and the Antichrist will begin to lead this planet. It could be closer than we imagine. Let me read about this beast, Revelation 13. The beast, verse 5 and 6, he opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Kind of things that you hear on, on some of late night television. How is it that in the world today, if, if I make a cartoon about the prophet Muhammad that doesn't cast him in a nice light, I'll, be, I'll have a death threat that follows me years later. But I can take money from the National Endowment of the Arts in America. I can take a crucifix of Christ. I can put it in a jar of my own urine and call it art. And the taxpayers pay for it. How is that possible? It's blasphemy. Verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. I've got to tell you, I don't understand this. But if you read through the book of Revelation, Revelation is a bloody book. And it's people making stands for Christ or their life. But for some reason, God allows this. And notice this next phrase. Authority was given to the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation. Which means that he will rule the world. And everyone will be subject to his power. He goes on to say, uh, Everyone whose name has not been written in the book of life will worship him. Verse 16, it causes all people to be marked on their right hand or their forehead. So no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. Listen, most of what you spend right now is just like this. Or you go to the red box. Oops. Or you go to the ATM and it... Oops. Money comes out. It's, it's, it, 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 that could change. Just like that, because on that day, you're in or out. Here's the problem with the mark of the beast. The problem is the Bible says if you continued reading, the Bible says if you take this mark, basically, you're not going to heaven. It's just as clear and as plain as it is before us. Now, the question is, what is this mark? And I don't know what to tell you today. They used to think it was a Social Security number. I think it was the 40s when Social Security numbers came out. Many people wouldn't take it because they saw it. It was a step towards it, but it wasn't it. You know that there's technology available today that you could put chips planted in your hand. Let me tell you, it makes sense to me. To keep your kid from getting abducted, you just put a little electronic thing. It makes sense to me. Put your medical records in there. So you're in Texarkana, you, you take a vacation, you know, you're in wherever, Timbuktu, and you have heart problems, and all they have to do is beep. The problem, though, it may make logical sense for the systems of this world but it is a part of the Antichrist system, the one world government. And that's where the Bible says this thing is headed, and that's what the future holds. I don't think you'll be able to make it if you live out in the boonies either. I mean, you're going to be caught up in this. Now, here's a question. How close are we to this? I want to show you a little video of uh, some modern-day modern day events and newscasts, and uh, then we'll finish up.
the head of the country's central bank floated the idea of dumping the greenback as the world's reserve currency, replacing it with an international currency. Thousands of people gathered to hear Barack Obama deliver key foreign policy speech on his current European tour. His vision for America's place in a new world order. Returning vets could be a risk to our nation. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. And one of the ways it will drive the change is through global governance. I think the new world order is emerging. This is a hoax and a scam which is designed to transfer wealth and power from the private sector to the government sector and from the government of the United States to a world government. And those people who have been yelling, oh, the UN's going to take over global conspiracy government. Conspiracy theorists. They they've been crazy, but now they they're right. And who got the money? Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank or that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve's discount. Tell us who they are. No. You know, financial terrorism. They have the ability to tweak the knob. I am proposing that the Federal Reserve be granted new authority. The ultimate goal of the carbon tax and the cap and trade is to destroy production. This energy tax is the largest tax increase in American history. We're actually creating a global warming police. So number one, they can come in, the federal government can come in, inspect your house, and send you the bill. We're setting up a global warming Gestapo. One of the things that if you talk to our generals, they are desperate for is a civilian uh, counterpart to our military forces. I am fierce. And this is what I wear. Senator Barack Obama's presidential campaign is asking Missouri law enforcement to target anyone who lies or runs a misleading television ad. I've now been in 50 seven states i think one left to go the president when he was in europe last week he met with the king of saudi arabia he appeared to bob president obama today proposed something new something called prolonged detention pre-crime is where people are arrested and incarcerated to prevent crimes that they have not yet committed tell your neighbor hmm now look, I'm looking for a place to go dove hunting tomorrow, okay? I'm, I'm not thinking about this stuff. I'm getting ready to watch Rebecca. She made the A volleyball team, praise the Lord, and she's going to play on uh, Mondays, and I'm getting ready to watch her cheer. But I'm telling you, you can stick your head in the sand and ignore everything that's going on, but it's happening all around us. I mean, no, government is a good thing. Government was created by God, but it's when government becomes God that we have a problem. I provoke you to think just a minute. What, what are your views of modern-day government? Do you believe in what our founders believed in, the Constitution and its rights? The Constitution talked about government's role was to protect the rights of the people. Do you believe in states' rights, federalism? Because here's the deal. We're not going to have a one-world government in the world until America's form of government is over. Until when you hear people talk about replacing the Constitution, being a progressive, do you go with that? telling you, friend, where you're going, the whole idea of our, our, our health care system being taken over by the government. You use the term socialized medicine, but the beast gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and, and, and which side are, are you on in your thinking? It's not about Republicans and Democrats and black and white. It's, an, it's about how the government of the world is developing. In America today, our education now, what they're pushing is called Common Core. 
It's the big brother of C-Scope. Common Core is an education, uh, educational priorities that every school in the nation will begin to teach its kids. How I many know oh, you capture the mind of the kids, you got them for the future? Now look, we all agree that kids need to know that two plus two is not six. But at some point when the history teacher cuts out Christopher Columbus who said, I believe Jesus Christ sent me to America, you didn't even know that as an adult because you've been in the public school system. What we do is we lose something. We could talk about the NSA. We could talk about drones spying on the American people. Uh, we could talk about the religious freedom of Christians disappearing. Listen, all these things are happening around us. But can I tell you this? Lift up your head, friends, because your redemption draweth nigh. It, it, it might affect the dove hunt tomorrow. Come on. It might affect your ability to go out and buy some stuff. But I'm telling you, Jesus is getting ready to wrap this thing up. Verse 6, tell your neighbor you're pretty quiet today. Look at verse 6, back to Thessalonians. Here's the third thing, the third sign. You know what is restraining him now. That is, who is restraining the Antichrist from coming. It's a person so that he may be revealed in his time, the Antichrist, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the earth. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's taken out of the way. What does that mean? I believe that's referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit through the church is holding back lawlessness. Listen, we're not, we're not doing a very good job of holding back Miley Cyrus. When I was 30 and raising my early kids, those that produced MTV wouldn't let their kids watch it. It's gone way beyond that today. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit-filled believers are taken out of this world, it's really going to get down and dirty. Verse 8, then, everybody say then. Then the lawless one will be revealed. After the rapture, after the Holy Spirit has removed his presence... The lawless one be revealed, but this is the coolest scripture of the morning. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Now, that's not because he has bad breath. But Jesus is just going to go, and this world leader is gone. This, and he's over. Um, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, back to Satan, Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan. Now, listen to this phrase with all power and false signs and wonders. Jesus told us this too. Matthew 24, Jesus said, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So this Antichrist will perhaps do something like this. A person with an inoperable brain tumor comes up to them and he said, be healed. And they're healed. And somebody dies, and he resurrects them from the dead. And everybody goes, oh, this must be God. Oh, this must be the, the spirit of whoever that's come back from years ago, and now he's in heaven. And all the new age and everything, and people are going to be going, all hail the power. But it's not of Jesus' name. Why do you think they hated the Christians in Rome? When they said, Jesus is Lord, it was a problem, because they, the, the Romans said, Caesar is Lord. And now the conflict comes as two kingdoms collide. Jesus said this Antichrist is coming with all wicked, here it is for the third time, deception. But the deception is for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. I want you to hear this next portion. They refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends strong delusion and they believe what is false. He goes on to say, they'll be condemned who didn't believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What that means is simply this. God in His goodness tried to reach out to them 
and they rejected him. And because they reject the truth, Jesus, the Lord, sends a delusion and they begin to believe a lie. Have you ever just looked at what's going on in the world today and scratch your head and say, how could people believe that? There was, I believe it was a, it was a congressman yesterday that came out and said uh, uh, he thanked God for abortion. Thank God for abortion. You think, how could... This Gosnell, you remember Gosnell, the abortionist that finally came out, the horrors of the abortion clinic? I mean, it was beyond anything Hitler did in his death camps. And, that came, and you think, how could anybody do this? How could a nurse be there? How could he be there? I'm telling you, friends, your mind, you get turned over to it, and then you believe that it's right. And that's what it's talking about. It's a delusion. But God is a good God. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But when people reject the truth, it's the consequences of action. Just like if you leave this church building and drive 100 miles an hour down that interstate, you will be arrested. The consequences of your action. Um, let me, I'm going to wrap this up. So the trials and persecutions that we began with, that they experienced, were not because they'd missed the day of the Lord. It was not because they'd missed the rapture. It was because they were living in a world growing closer to the last days. And Paul said to them, before Christ returns, the apostasy will come, the Holy Spirit will be removed from the, from the earth at the rapture, and the uh, Antichrist will be revealed. Now let me wrap up with this. Maybe you're here today and you're a little skeptical. Maybe you're saying, well, you know the Bible, that's 2,000 years ago that the New Testament was written, or it's been a long time and everything is the same. Listen to what Peter would say to you 2,000 years ago. Simon Peter, the apostle of Christ, he said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. I want you to think about... Uh, 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 Comedy Central. I'm not talking about the shows that they play, you know, at six. I'm talking about the shows that they play later where... How are you going to watch that? I want, to I, I, I want you to think what we hear today. They're mocking him and they say this, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Now listen to what the scripture says. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, time is not an issue with God. Do you ever feel like just yesterday you were in, school, you were in grade school? I just feel like yesterday I got married to Linnell. That was 30 years ago. It feels like yesterday she was diagnosed with cancer, and that was last December, and we didn't know she was going to live or die, and now she's got a good report. Like, choo-choo. Well, to God, a day in a thousand years is a choo-choo. Because he's the one who was and is and is to come. Come on. He's looking down on time and he dwells outside of that realm. Time is not a deal with God. The Lord isn't really being slow as his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. And listen to this about God. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants to populate heaven with all of us. He wants to take us in all of our sinful array. Come on. And he wants us to come to the cross like I did as a 19-year-old kid and like most of you have done in your life where you recognize that the way you're living is not the right way and you need a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for the world. But these events, friends, are what's ahead of us as the human race. Let me close with the last scripture of the morning. Back to 2 Thessalonians, that whole chapter that we went through pretty much verse by verse. Here's how he closed it. And this is the so what part. This is the what do I do. You've told me some things, preacher, you got me thinking. But this is the what do I do now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. 
So then, brothers, I want you to say this. Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold on to the, to the traditions or the teachings, the Bible. Stand firm and hold on. When you're in a class at school, one of, the, one of our college students came up to me uh, at, at a mentoring breakfast I did Friday, and she said, you know what, my professor came up and said, you know what, you're all liberals and you're all secularists, and it's my job to make you one. Right here at your Texas A&M University. It's not just politics. It's thinking that is diametrically opposed to the God of the Bible. It's thinking that abortion is a right. It's thinking that you came from monkeys. It's thinking that says God does not exist. It's thinking that says man is God at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's all about you. My friends, it's all around us today. And the Bible says, stand firm. Stand firm in the truth of God's Word. And listen to what else he says. He said, now may our Lord Jesus Christ comfort your hearts. Which means this. You don't have to be afraid of what you saw today on that video. You don't have to be afraid of what we've talked about today. How many know the one who got you saved is the one that can keep you saved? Do you know the scripture? He who began the good work in you, Philippians 1.6, he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. If you have to go through some persecution, Peter thought he could handle it and he said, I'll even die with you. And all the Roman soldier had to do was shake his sword and Peter ran like a scared girl. But then the Holy Spirit came in his life. Come on. And when he, tradition tells us, was, was, was martyred for Christ, he said, hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified as the Lord was. I'm telling you, Stephen in the New Testament, when rocks were flying at him, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it's not because he was on hallucinogens. It's not because he was sampling mushrooms. Come on. He was seeing Jesus in the spirit realm. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm telling you, there's a great power in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It is a force of God that lives in you. God by his Holy Spirit. And God will help you be strong. But my friends, Paul's words today is that we need to be steadfast and immovable, that we need to, and I close with this, that we might establish them in every good work and word. I say it this way, be blameless in holiness. Be set apart to God, dedicated to serve Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because one day, friends, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a little baby in a manger. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And before him every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are part of God's eternal kingdom. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. We're going to sing one song. And we're going to have a word of prayer together. And, uh, and we'll go have lunch. Cause you saved me And I